recording on this computer. So, right. So, I want to welcome everybody to Spotlight on Sustainability. We have Heather here from Oddbox. I'm really excited today because we're going to be talking about eliminating food waste. I think this is a really important topic, something I've personally become uh, quite passionate about, but I think probably most of you on this call as well, probably the same. Um, this is the last Spotlight on Sustainability of the year. So it's been a great year. I think we've talked about some really interesting topics from, you know, looking at things like plastic and energy and education. And I think, you know, food waste is particularly important because I think we're all engaged with food in one way or another. And I think, you know, the scale of actually food waste is pretty sh shocking, you know, to some degree. So let's get into it. We're going to be talking about a lot of different things. So you know, big pleasure to introduce Heather, who was introduced to me um, via an Oblique Life member. Um, and Heather is the Sustainability Manager at Oddbox. Um, so I'm going to let her, you know, introduce herself and her amazing um, career so far and also the amazing work she's doing with Oddbox on the sustainability front. So Heather, welcome. Thanks. Thanks. I'll start with a bit of an intro on what Oddbox is. So uh, we're a sustainable fruit and bed veg box which fights food waste to help save the planet uh, and our vision is basically a world where all food grown is eaten so we work really closely with farmers and rescue fresh seasonal odd and surplus fruit and veg which are at risk of going to waste and then deliver it to homes each week and with every box people save on average like seven kilograms of fruit and veg which is equivalent to uh, also 10 kilograms of carbon emissions, 900 litres of water that would otherwise have gone to waste. And we started in 2016, and since then we've saved almost 10,000 tonnes of food, which is an amazing milestone for us, but you know, there's lots more food waste out there, so lots still to do. Um, and in terms of me, my background is in consulting. I spent five years at PwC, mostly in the sustainability and climate change team. And I've just finished a year on the On Purpose program, which is kind of a, a one year long career transition program for people interested in uh, careers and social impact. And I spent six months there at Oddbox, and now I'm back full time uh, as sustainability manager. So my role is kind of at the moment, I'm working on developing our strategy for the next five years uh, as to how we want to be a better business uh, for people on the planet. We've recently certified as a B Corp, um, which was a great uh, experience to go through. It's really thorough and very eye-opening and acts as a bit of a framework for us now as to how we want to be a better business. And we'll use that uh, as we go forward to kind of make us be better. Um, and we've also recently developed a, a new way of measuring impact in a personalized way so that each customer can see the difference they make. Um, and yeah, part of my role is also to, to raise awareness of food waste um, and the impact on the environment to people and businesses. So very happy to be here today. Thanks for that, Heather. Really, really interesting. Um, before I ask um, kind of the first question, if anyone here does have a question of their own, please put your hand up, put it in the chat and we'll come to you. We want to make this as you know, conversational as possible. So don't be shy, feel free and uh, we'll try to get all your, um, your questions answered. So to start with, I mean, you mentioned uh, Oddbox, you know, you guys have achieved already, you know, eliminating 10,000 tons. But when we look at the kind of the stat, and even in UK alone, there's 65 million or equivalent of tons of food waste every year. 
I mean, it's a massive, massive mountain. And I think, you know, it's, it's an amazing achievement what you guys have done already. Maybe you can kind of just put into context and give us a bit more background around, you know, where is all this food waste coming from? Is it the consumers? Is it from the suppliers? Is it a bit of everything? Who are the culprits? Where are we should be looking? And a bit of an overview would be great. Yeah, so I'll start. I'll start a bit on food waste and, and why, why 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 it happens. So, you might have heard the stat, but uh, a third of all food that is produced globally goes to waste, which is just a crazy amount, and and it varies in different areas. So, in developing countries, it's more about it gets lost in the supply chain because things can't be refrigerated, so they can't stay fresh as long, so they they kind of go off that way and they don't reach the end consumer. Whereas in developed countries it's actually sits more with the consumer so households are responsible for about 70 percent of food waste um, and then there's kind of different reasons as to you know we focus at the at the farm level and we take things that are either surplus or kind of imperfect and i say in, imperfect in kind of inverted commas because it's perfectly good to eat but it's just kind of supermarkets don't take it because it maybe is the wrong size or the wrong shape um, or it's kind of got cosmetic imperfections in some way which which don't affect it, its its quality but it looks it looks a bit different and so they won't take it so they they, they call that class two so we take that um, as well as surplus so often uh, different things will kind of happen and there's fluctuations in you know supply and demand and the weather might be great one week and so people are demanding you know more salad leaves but obviously farms can't react that quickly um, and supermarkets will change their their forecasts and their demands of what they want to buy which often can leave farms with a lot of kind of extra produce that they are uh, that they don't have a home for um, so so that's what we take and I was speaking to a farm recently um, and they they say they grow about a third extra than they need to or that they have orders for um, because because they, they think some of it you know won't won't be good enough or, or there might be some changes in, in demand um, which, which is a shame really in a kind of inefficient model and we're set up a bit different because we are supplier-led so our business model is quite different from others which are all demand-led so we every week we kind of just phone up suppliers and see like what is it that's at risk of going to waste that week and, and we take it we never kind of predetermine or ask for certain things um or kind of let customers uh personalize too much what their boxes are because we really want to tackle the issue and what's actually being wasted um, and then so that's kind of why food waste happens and then kind of the environmental impact of that um, so obviously a load of resources go into producing food um, so it produces i think food waste produces around eight percent of global greenhouse gas emissions um, and i think aviation at its peak was three percent so it, it's a really substantial kind of issue uh, to address to tackle climate change i think if, if, if it was a country it would be the third largest emitter uh, of carbon emissions uh, after the us and china and in i don't know if anyone's seen the drawdown report i think the most comprehensive plan ever proposed to reverse global warming but it's it's third on that list of tackling food waste so it, it is really really important for tackling climate change um, and then it also uses up resources like land so a land mass larger than 
Canada and India, India put together uh, is land used to grow food that is then never eaten. And food waste also uses up 25% of the world's fresh water supply. Um, so it's a bit crazy how much resources are, as are going into this food that, that is then thrown. Um, but yeah, but then you've got the social aspect as well. There are like a billion hungry people in the world and they could be fed on just a quarter of the food that's currently wasted. So there's just lots of inefficiencies in the food system. Um, and you know, it's, it's not necessarily serving people and, and the planet as well as it could. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty daunting prospect when you put it all together, I think. I think one of the you know, ways I want to kind of break it down this evening, because I think there's so many aspects we've already, you know, you've, you've highlighted so many, is kind of looking at the whole value chain and then we start to pick at it. And obviously Oddbox, you know, you guys are doing great work across a big part of it. Um, so it'd be great to kind of now let's think about, I guess, if we start from the beginning, I guess the sourcing element, you know. One of the questions I had was, you know, you mentioned class two um, product. What kind of um, proportion percentage of total produce do you think falls into this class two and how much, you know, basically is not accepted by kind of your top supermarkets? Yeah, so it's estimated that between 20 and 40% of produce is rejected because of imperfections, um, <laughs> which, is, which is pretty high. Um, so yeah, and farms and supermar um, supermarkets obviously have a lot of power in, in purchasing, like they buy the majority of food and farms are quite you know, at the whim of supermarkets. And if they change their prices or their demand, it can really kind of affect, affect them and you know, not being able to give away the class too or use it when it's perfectly good to eat uh, is just really frustrating because it means that it might be left in the field. Like sometimes we get, we get um, calls from suppliers and they, they wouldn't even harvest something even though it was good enough to eat, they wouldn't harvest it because the supermarket doesn't want it. And then it gets left in the field or goes to animal feed or some other use, which is, which is just not as efficient um, when it could, could be eaten. Wow, that's, uh, that's crazy. Um, Sean, I think you put a quick question about uh, relative being organic. Do you want to ask a question? Just clear this one up. Hi. Hi, Heather. Hello. Nice to meet you. I've actually got a few questions I'm writing down here now, but... Number one is, is are they organic? Uh, we're not organic because we kind of take across all uh, different suppliers. So some of our produce might be, um, but at the moment we don't have um, a kind of organic option because kind of food waste is our priority and food waste happens across all farms. Mm. Um, but it is definitely something that, that's on our radar and we're looking into. So can I, shall I just go with my questions? Because I've got a few here. Um, if you ask, if you ask one, one more and then we'll maybe come back to a couple. Okay, of cool. So, um, so can you buy for someone else, like in food poverty? Is there a way that your organization say, I could say, look, I, I could afford to buy an extra box for someone, but I don't need it. You deliver it somewhere where there's food poverty. Yes, um, that's a good point. We don't currently do that. So what we do do at the moment is any surplus that we have at the end of the week, uh, we give to charities, um, so City Harvest and the Felix Project, and then they redistribute it to, to food banks in London. Um, yes, we had some requests about that, so it is something we're looking into as to whether people can can donate a box and work out the kind of best way to do that, because a box of 
like a pre-made box is not so useful for food banks. You know, they will more want mass, like lots of potatoes so that they can make a lot of food. But it's definitely something that we're that we're looking into and I think our customers are interested in. I think thanks for that. I think it's really interesting when you you know, I was gonna bring this up later, but when you talk about um some of that that goes to places like Felix Project to do amazing work and redistributing to you know people who need it. But it, it's, it's, it's amazing, isn't it, how there's still, just probably in, I guess, the delivery side of, of that whole supply chain and getting it and then moving it after it's left the, uh, the suppliers, how inefficient it still, it still is, not the, you know, the whole system, I guess, overall. Um, from your point of view, I guess, what are kind of the kind of main inefficiencies in delivery, transport, and getting it to the, the consumer? Um, and kind of what are you seeing in terms of kind of things that, helping to improve this um, in general, in terms of um, yeah, the market? Yeah, well, I think food moves around quite a bit from, you know, it can come from a farm to a pack house, and it needs to be transported again to like a hub, which then gets moved out to, to a supermarket where it will then kind of end up on a shelf. Um, so obviously there's a, a lot involved in that. and you know i don't honestly know really what supermarkets are doing to try and improve that or, or how it's trying to be efficient i mean what what we do is we go straight to farms and uh, get produce directly from them and bring it back to our uh, pack house and try and make that as efficient as possible by doing collecting things on on, on route and then when we deliver it to our customers uh, we do our deliveries overnight, so we try and minimise emissions of kind of getting stuck in traffic by delivering overnight. And we've also got a, a system that optimises our routes so that um, basically the drop-off is in the most efficient way. So we try and kind of reduce our, our food miles there. Um, and we're also looking into kind of moving to electric vans, uh, which, which we're kind of making a plan for at the moment. It, it, Right now, it wouldn't be feasible in terms of price because it would just make the price of our boxes way more expensive. But it is definitely like a high priority for us and something something that we're working on. Makes sense. I guess if we start thinking about the types of food which are, are most are the biggest culprits of getting wasted or ones that people tend to, and I guess we focus in the UK and you said it's a lot of it's at the consumer level. What do we see are the kind of foods which are being wasted the most um, from your from your point of view? Um, I think a lot of potatoes are being wasted, even though they last quite a long time. There's quite a quite a, a large amount of supply, and anything with a short shelf life, if it kind of um, you know it comes into someone's house, they've only got two days to use it, and people uh, people's lives don't necessarily always always work that way. Um, then that also kind of can mean that more food waste happens happens there. Yeah, that, and that makes a lot of sense. I think that probably, I think in the developed world, if we think about it, then a lot of it comes down to consumer choice and lifestyle, I think. And, you know, we've probably become so used to kind of having everything quick and on the go. Um, so I guess when it comes to that, then, um, how much of the onus really is, you know, on the consumer? And I think a big part of what you guys are doing at Oddbox probably is about educating and about, you know, the community side of it. Um, I, I guess if that is the issue, what is the work that needs to be done on the consumer level to get it, get people consuming correctly and, and reducing their waste at home? What's the kind of stuff you guys are uh, 
like are promoting. Yeah, there's definitely, I mean, food waste happens at every every stage of the su supply chain. So I think at farms about 8% is wasted and then obviously retails, food businesses uh, waste a lot as well. But yeah, the 70% at households is is kind of a really addressable thing for, for people to tackle. And it's not kind of putting the, the pressure on, on consumers always, but it is something that I think if people take some simple actions, it, it can really reduce food waste and often means that you're saving money uh, as well as doing something good for the planet. So um, what we do with our community, so we have newsletters that go out in our boxes every week. Uh, and there we kind of explain a bit about what's happened and why certain things are in the box that week. Uh, so recently we've had some hail damaged apples. So on the outside, they've got kind of a few dots on them that and when there was there was hail when they were quite small and it happened to like a massive crop of farm that we work with and it was about six months worth of apples that, that we've taken from him because it doesn't affect the quality and your ability to eat it at all like it's perfectly fine it just it just looks a bit funny on the outside and um, so explaining things like that so that people understand that actually it's fine to eat and just because it doesn't look as perfect as it does in the supermarket uh, it's still okay and people people like being kind of connected to the farmers and like actually what's what's happening um, and then in those newsletters we kind of explain why everything's come to us whether it's surplus or it was too big it was too small um, this month we've had quite a lot of surplus coming from food businesses and caterers who obviously haven't been able to run so people that would normally supply them have found themselves with a lot of surplus so we've been able to to help and take that um, which is great. And then we also have tips for how to store things um, and keep them fresh <coughs> and recipes as well for how to use it. And on our website, we do meal plans um, for people. Uh, but yeah, it's great seeing, we get a lot of feedback from our community, which we love and like seeing, you know, recipes that people have done. People do a lot of creative things with our boxes. We got a picture of some Christmas decorations recently. Someone had made like a miniature theater um with the box and that's really great we really kind of appreciate our community and we're we're thinking about how we can do more for our community and engage them and what else we can do and that's kind of a, a priority for the next year and always open to kind of ideas makes sense Romy, i see you with your hand up hey hey Heather, this is fantastic thank you so much um, and great to see so many, uh, some familiar faces on the call today. Um, one of the questions and ideas I was just thinking about was the fact that a lot of it comes down to education. If we think back 30, 40 years ago, we used home economics, for example, was a compulsory course for younger people. Do you think that we need to start educating people on not just the food that we eat, but how it's produced, understand the way it gets to the table? Because then perhaps that will change the perception from day one of, doesn't matter what the shape is it's what the nutritional value is of what they're eating um because right now we focus more on oh this apple looks incredible but it's covered in wax it's gm farmed it's like got you know it's not even good for you even though it looks good for you so you know is that something you you guys uh, believe as well and and if so how do we how do you integrate that into an education system how do we bring this these elements back yeah a hundred percent i think education is key and i I think we've just lost touch with where food comes from and you, we don't really understand the true value of it and you know supermarkets can cut prices they've got so much power that they can kind of manipulate prices and the terms in which 
things are grown and it just makes it really difficult for farms and makes us really disconnected with with where stuff comes from and all the resources that that went into growing um that piece of food and kind of the effect on the environment um so yeah so i think it's a it's a really important that we understand more about um the journey of food and what it's take to produce it and we try and kind of connect people with our farmers like telling telling them the stories uh, that we hear and, and what we take um but yeah but i think there's there's definitely more that can be done and there's i've been joining a few kind of working groups like there's a champions you might have heard of the sustainable development goals um but they have a champions 12.3 um, and the goal is to halve food waste by 2030 um, and we're part of that friends network and you know there's talk about how can we make it um people more aware of it and the link to climate change and also just connect people with their food um, and there's thinking about what what we can do to kind of raise that on the agenda for cop um which is happening next next year in glasgow uh, the kind of conference of the parties on climate change and that food waste really isn't kind of on the agenda and the kind of countries generally haven't got food systems fully integrated into like their, their strategies for tackling climate change so it's a really important thing to raise awareness of at kind of all levels and yeah the more we can do with young people like we have a lot of customers who have families and they get so excited and they kind of feel much more connected with the food like we got a picture of a kid who dressed up as a farmer and you know we're showing his produce and it, it just it's it's nice to be able to connect people with the food and yeah, i think we definitely need more of that yeah great question um Thank i think dan was on the it's on the same page um dan actually i think you added a really interesting point on that as well as because i think the expiry and under, the education on that point i think there's a lot of confusion from the average consumer on even things like best before and use by, I think. Um, Heather, in your opinion, is are those classifications enough, or is it? And or do we need? To, do they need to be, you know, improved or developed, or is it just a case of educating consumers a bit more about, you know, that itself, what that actually means, and when it's safe to eat things, when it's, when you should throw things out. Yeah, I think I think more education on what they mean because I think some people stick really strictly to the to the date and that like best before. Is a quality thing and it's like you know before this date it will be peak quality but after that you know it, it probably it might still be fine to eat and it's up to your kind of judgment as to when when you shouldn't eat it whereas used by is a safety uh measure and therefore you shouldn't eat it past that day because it might not be safe to eat so i think just understanding that and you know letting people use their intuition when it's kind of the the best before as to you know if it if it looks fine it smells fine um then, then you can eat it and you know there might be changes I don't know if they're planning to change that but but yeah I think more awareness of what they mean would be would be helpful to help inform consumers what choices they make. Yeah I had a, I had a nice way of putting it which I hadn't heard before but I think it's quite common to use is that best before good after kind of um, understanding because it's not off after it's just not yeah. at its best right. Um, so it takes me on to another, I guess, pain point, I think, really in the kind of this, the, the whole value chain is packaging. And I think this is something which the whole, you know, the war on plastic is kind of also putting pressures on, on this side as well. Rightly so, and also in putting some difficulties. 
it is really difficult to to find and package food in a way that helps it travel well, last longer. And I think, you know, delivery companies all sorts are trying to fight this. I know companies like Gusto do the grocery delivery boxes. They're trying to find ways to do plastic-free delivery packaging. Um, I guess what what are the sort of um, advances we're seeing, advancements we're seeing in this space? What's Oddbox's view and approach to this? Um, and, you know, when it comes to kind of reducing plastic and packaging, how should we be thinking about this as consumers and how we, how we purchase? Yeah, yeah, agree. It's completely like it's really hard to find things that aren't in packaging at the moment. Like if I go to my local co-op, every piece of fruit and veg is packaged and it's really difficult. I think I think supermarkets are acknowledging that and kind of they see the customer demand from, you know, Food Planet Effect um, and they're creating like refill stations and things and trialing that. But there is a massive supply chain that relies on things being packaged so that they will last longer, so that they'll be protected in a certain way. Um, and there are some changes that people are making in terms of you know, changing plastic planets to, to cardboard ones and things like that. Um, but, you know, it does, as you were saying, it, it, it serves a purpose, like plastic shouldn't, shouldn't completely be, be demonised because it can help reduce food waste because it keeps things fresher for longer um, and gives it a longer shelf life. So at Oddbox, we, we don't package anything in plastic um, and our boxes are pretty plastic free like we normally just get kind of um, a big pallet of potatoes mangoes whatever it is um, and put them straight into the box um, and we'll only ever kind of add paper bags if, if things need to be grouped together sometimes we'll get produce that's already uh, in plastic like saddle leaves that are, are in, in wrapping or grapes that are in, in a punnet already um, and we obviously won't remove that because it's serving a purpose and um, protecting or keeping the produce fresh. Um, so, so, so we'll we'll kind of continue to use that. But we've made some kind of other changes in terms of packaging uh, to to be more sustainable. So, changing uh, the sellotape that we use to paper tape. Uh, we changed the size of our boxes as well to smaller boxes. We realised we were transporting a lot of air. Um, so it means that we can kind of fit more boxes into, into our vans and reduce, reduce our miles. Um, and we also, we were putting plastic bags around our boxes um, to protect them from the rain because we, we deliver overnight. And we're moving it to sugarcane bags uh, at the moment. Interesting. And, and the sugarcane bags, is that quite commonly used then? Where are they, where are they produced? And what would be interesting to know a bit about them actually. I can't remember the supplier, um, someone in the ops team um, who's who's been sourcing it. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't think they're very commonly used. But we've we've kind of trialed them, and they're working for they're working for us. They serve the purpose um, for keeping keeping boxes dry. Just um, on that, just if if there's anyone on the call who works works or has worked in any food related industry or. Um, I think we have what well, Kessie works in circular economy. It'd be great if anyone wants to share any, you know, stories or thoughts around this space and anything they've, they've seen on the ground. Um, yeah, it'd be great to kind of hear people's experiences as well. So please do feel free to uh, put your hand up if you want to share anything on that. Um, yes, another, can I add a point? We're, um, we're looking at whether we've moved. So we do cardboard boxes at the moment, which are, you know, made from recycled materials and can be recycled, but we were... We're thinking about whether we should move to a kind of um, reusable, um, 
plastic box that we can use like reuse it 70 times or something which would you know be more costly for us we'd save money and it would reduce our environmental impact um, but we don't really know anyone else doing it and it's a big logistical challenge to do it and particularly for consumers who have to kind of keep the box in their house for a week remember to put it out at night and and things like that so there's a lot of kind of things to consider but it's definitely something we're thinking about and I'd be very interested if anyone's thought about it or has does does that with other companies how what the experience is like it'll be interesting really interesting um Wakasa I see a hand up um please feel free to join um I'm mute hi everyone hey welcome yeah so in our context we I've done a, some work around the informal food system here in Nairobi. And just, you know, so most of the food that we get in Nairobi comes from up country or either Uganda or Tanzania because they have a, a huge amount of, you know, arable land. And Nairobi has a uh, well, can I see you're breaking up. Um, maybe I'm going to try without video. Yeah, hello? Hey, sorry, you're breaking up. I think uh, maybe if you're going to try without video, maybe it might uh, work. Uh, can you hear me now? Yeah, yeah, that's better. Yeah, so studies that have been done were estimating that between 60, 30 to 60% of the food uh, goes to waste. But what we quickly discovered was that food was not accounted for because the process at the informal food market is, uh, the formal food market is when it reaches the market, it, uh, trucks usually arrive at 3 a.m. Then the sorting process happens between 3 a.m. to like 6 a.m. So only the food that is shelf worthy is let into the market. So the food that is not that doesn't have that doesn't meet that standard is quickly sorted out and it's immediately transferred to informal food markets and there is an informal economy or ecosystem that thrives around that so you have a five uh, a five billion kenyan shilling uh hand cut market that is not accounted for so the complexity about food here or here is that we have we lack mechanisms to track it because there's a thriving street food and informal food setup and almost 75 percent of the people in the city or city dwellers actually attest to have gotten a meal in those contexts food is super expensive here and what we are looking at is how to create solutions around that informal food ecosystem because most of the workers here don't have you know security in terms of you know ownership of space because most of these kiosks or street food vendors or or the structures or these kitchens are actually made on road reserves and they are not bankable so the challenge that they have is as much as they're making you know $200 a day and $200 a day is quite decent that's plus in the in, they're employing let me say six six to seven people these people 
don't have benefits you know in terms of experience aggregated experience working in this sector they don't have unbasic uh, uh, benefits that come with running a, an operation like that and they and they as much as they have a steady cash flow it's not bankable mm. so just coming up with ways to resource such an ecosystem that plays a huge role in eliminating food waste is one of those things that is needed uh luckily we have our conversations that ha- that is happening around that sector that is linked to place making so right. we've had organizations you know like the UN habitat that are looking at ways to engage with policy makers to resource such uh, such ecosystem players you know this informal food sector because it's quite yeah. a force and it's just super useful i think that's really interesting because i think in different contexts of developed world and the developing world a lot of it comes to the lack of putting you know reasonable value on actually these this goods which aren't either recognized by the formal sector or going to waste and then thrown away and i think then it's a case of can you in case of kenya as it sounds like it's about how do you put the systems to then formalize a lot of this and get them into a really more formal system and in the uk it's a case of how do you put a price of value on this that it's actually more valuable than going to straight to waste and then creating larger more efficient markets to then start you know as you're saying sorting selling and, and consuming these goods more effectively um i think heather if you have, in terms of oddbox perspective I, i know obviously very uk focused have you guys had any thoughts about how that your models could work internationally or is it still very much kind of a uk centric you guys Uh, yeah we're still we're still uk we're in london and the southeast at the moment hoping to go nationwide next year um i think long term plans we might plan to go to other countries but but yeah it's 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 not kind of there yet and i completely acknowledge the you know the different kind of issues that the different countries face and and it's all kind of different there and it's interesting um how you're talking about uh different stages and food not being able to get to the right place or you know the food system being linked up and there's the food waste hierarchy which basically is where food should go like preference so like the first one is redistributing it to so that it can be eaten like to to food banks or whatever and then and then it's going to animal feed if not to anaerobic digestion where it can create energy and at like the worst it goes to landfill um and it yeah it's important i think for companies that have food waste to have processes for all of those things to to divert food waste to kind of the best use that that it can have if it can't be eaten makes sense um brendan i see you've had your your hand up for a while so i'm going to come to you next um just just to say so Bre- brendan's actually going to be featuring on a podcast that romy's hosted on uh, different sustainability and sdg related topics launching next year so do keep an eye out um brendan do you want to do you want to raise your point or question um yes thanks sorry uh, everyone for not uh, having any video I, i have already updated my zoom for some reason i'm, I'm not able to <laughs> to activate my camera um really lovely to to have you on uh, on here heather and, and thank you so much for informing us about what oddbox does um just wanted to add in to terms of the packaging issues that um you know we're all 
we're all facing, um, particularly with regard to uh, the plastics. Um, and I just want to augment that whole idea of plastic being slightly um, demonized, <laughs> inverted commas. Um, and I, yeah, I think in relation to that, it's more our behavior with plastic that is the problem, not the actual material itself. Um, and I think that's something we, we all need to take responsibility for. Um, and just in terms of that, I think, you know, we, I worked uh, many years ago um, at a restaurant and, and a group of restaurants um, known as Fresh and Wild. Um, and we had a very clear cut way in, in terms of how to deal with food waste. Um, so as you clearly mentioned, Heather, the, you know, the sort of top end sellers would then come into the kitchen, be made, you know, the second class would be made into food and that would then get sold on um, to, to third tier uh, um, parties and, and, and folks who could utilize those materials. Um, but the point I really want to get to is um, with the packaging I work for um, my own consultancy and a couple of other consultancies, um, Cradle to Circular Design. We look at the Cradle to Cradle certification of materials to be able to be used for packaging. So what we've done with a couple of companies, uh, Mondelez being one of them um, and DH, uh, DS Smith, is taking cocoa husks and creating packaging out of those husks. So taking the raw materials um, and you know of the food products that are inverted commas wasted and then making the packaging out of those things uh, mm -hmm. also grace grape husks and and, uh, and you know all that sort of thing so it's literally taking the raw materials from the initial processing side of things and creating packaging systems that would really benefit all the way through the supply chain um, it's it's very it's very novel at this point. <laughs> the science is still being uh, developed, so some of the information is, is under NDA and so forth. But um, yeah, the 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 fact is that we're now doing it, and there are some really big players in the industry like uh, Co-op and Tesco who are sl slowly but surely trying to egg their way into that environment to eliminate the you know, the, the, the nefarious sort of plastic um, packaging element. So just to let you know, there are answers out there. We, we, can, we can help. Um, and I think in, in some ways, agile companies like yours are better at being able to address those smaller, those, well, the bigger issues in a smaller context than the bigger companies because there's a lot of bureaucracy and red tape and all that kind of stuff. So just to let you know, there, there are some really positive answers out there. Really, that's great and great that you're kind of using waste and it's it's this kind of circular model that's 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 really really cool super thanks brendan really interesting um jennifer would you like to ask your question uh yes mine was kind of around um what heather was talking about you, you were thinking of the possibility of supplying your customers with plastic boxes um so i was wondering whether you've considered or whether it would be even possible for the consumer to provide kind of packaging of their own. So if they left out their own plastic box or, or, or bag or something, um, and whether you could take that or whether you have a way of delivering, delivering your items, but then putting them in the boxes when you get there. So there's less kind of transportation of air or, or, you know, that kind of thing. Mm, yes. Interesting idea. 
the um logistics i feel like the logistics would be an interesting thing to try and work out in terms of how do you track if someone's given a certain box that they get that that box if if they're precious about the box um and that we need some kind of you know good tech solution to be able to monitor who's who's is what but that would be that would be a kind of interesting solution and would kind of uh you know solve kind of our issue of you know buying them in the first place and and then um and then having to kind of keep track of them um and then what was what was it what was the second you have a second oh i was just saying about whether you can deliver and, it at the, and, and yeah. do it at the point of delivery so that you you're just transporting you know less less boxes Yes, and at the moment, I mean, we have our drivers going out, and they're, I mean, they're pretty. It would be like a time, a time pressure whether that whether they could fit in the time, and obviously, seeing things in the dark as well, <laughs> um, to pack them up. But yeah, but that that would be interesting if they kind of had had all the produce there and had their own kind of packing line. Um, but yeah, but we also want to check, like we have quite um, detailed quality uh, processes that happen in our pack house. Um, so we'd have to work out how to do them because obviously, you know, things are quality assured and we check the produce is all good and fresh when we put it in the box. So we'd make, have to make sure there was a kind of a process uh, to make sure that that was, that was still the case and things still kind of were, were good um, and fresh and well presented. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's a great question. It's, it's very much reminds me of kind of going back to with the, the old milkman kind of ways, right? I think that's kind of, going back to, to what used to work is the future, I think, as well, in some ways. Luthia, you have a really interesting question. Would you like to, um, to ask it? Yes. Uh, hello, Heather. Uh, that was really nice. Uh, thank you. So um, I want to think that consumers are getting more um, aware and conscious about sustainability issues. And because of that, I was thinking if we are seeing already any a uh, supermarket chain that is thinking about incorporating these uh, class two products to their shelves. Um, so I don't know if it's either replacing with the beautiful ones they are selling today or offering both or offering different propositions. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if this happens, if this start happening. Um, and I just wanted to hear if you vision that happening, if is there any other change already? interested in that yeah uh, and we definitely definitely some supermarkets are already doing this they have kind of wonky ranges or uh, imperfectly perfect or something like that but but they are definitely doing it and they're aware of it and they're they kind of have them as as separate um separate offerings and they generally offer it at a discount which then creates a bit of a you know, you know why should it be discounted i mean the food is is just as good and for us you know we make sure that we always pay a fair price to the farmers for the food that is good quality that that people are eating um so it creates you know if there's a supermarket and you're buying the cheapest stuff and it creates funny kind of incentive model and then there's also the kind of in terms of actually supermarkets moving towards getting rid of kind of class one and two there's there's a lot of kind of barriers to that and the whole kind of supply chain and the way things are wrapped like cucumbers cucumbers don't always come straight um 
they'll come kind of curvy sometimes and but the machines that pack them to keep them fresh uh only can do straight ones so things like that and the way that things are packed um that they're packed in certain ways that that means they kind of have to look a certain way sometimes so so yeah so it will be a kind of long longer term change and i think supermarkets can't always continually have them as kind of discounted not as good because you know they are they are just the same food and they have the same uh, nutritional value and the same kind of quality okay yeah. thank you great question really good interesting Romy, did you want to come in with with something yeah, no, I just want to say it's been really interesting, everything so far. Um, and actually, it's great hearing from Wakesa because we also grew up in, in Kenya. And I remember the vegetables we used to get at home were never the same shape, but they just tasted so fresh and so good. My question to you, Heather, is about the um, government support. I mean, if we think about what you guys are doing, it's you're not just a, looking at from an environmental carbon point of view, but you also could be tying into the zero hunger movement. And there's a lot of people and individuals, even in the UK, we saw with Marcus Rashford, um, you know, the amount of in the young children, young people, young schools. Um, are you seeing movements by governments to say, okay, well, look, we've got a really good opportunity here to maybe use these second tier, I guess, fruits and vegetables, um, and then partner up with maybe, if you think about a lot of chefs and a lot of young hospitality people that might have lost jobs in this, in this year, to really start thinking of this as a great way to get them jobs, they can create healthy meals, um, and they can you stop the, the waste of this food are you seeing these kind of initiatives coming up now or is that something that's that's kind of hopeful and, and a long way to go i haven't that's an awesome idea that would be amazing amazing if it did happen um but i'm not i can't think of any that are kind of directly kind of addressing uh food poverty and getting getting food to people people that need it um like there's companies that that create produce out of you know, surplus like rubies in the rubble or toast ale who create beer out of waste bread. Um, but that's a, that's a kind of separate thing. Um, yeah, I mean, we give to, to charity like the Felix Project and City Harvest, and it's it's great to see all the amazing work that they're doing and the impact that they have. Um, but yeah, it will be interesting to hear more from government. They def there is a national food strategy, and I think there's a kind of movement of people trying to you know get feedback on that there was a um consultancy uh which which was going to come out this year but now it's going to come out next year about mandatory food waste reporting which would be helpful for, for like businesses and supermarkets um to report on their waste which would really help i think once you're accountable and you've measured your waste you can then address it so it, i think tesco were the first one to do that and they they have different kind of uh, donation policies and, and supermarkets are quite good at giving surplus to, to um, food banks and charities charities that need it. Um, but yeah, but I think the better people report on it and the better kind of awareness of it and the fact that people can can kind of repurpose it um, would be great. And and hopefully the government I don't I don't think it's on the agenda really for for this COP meeting that I was talking about next next year I don't think food waste is is really on there and there's, there's a few organizations like us who really want to kind of push that and try and get it to be to be an issue um, that people are, are talking about from a kind of environmental but also a, a social and uh, aspect as well.
No, good stuff. Thank you for that. Thanks. Um, and I think going on, you'd mentioned uh, measurements and, you know, on, and if we look at the other side, I think Oddbox in Europe in particular have done a lot of work with Oddbox on creating um, an impact measurement tool. I think um, it'd be great to kind of get some insights into what that does, why it's important and understanding kind of what we as consumers would be able to see from that. And then also think about why these kind of tools are so important for us in the long term to kind of really you know, encourage people to, to consume well. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, so we, we wanted basically to, to give people information to help them see the difference that they made when they kind of get the log box from us. Um, and we see lots of people, you know, people are using carbon calculators now to work at, you know, the impact of flying or commuting or whatever it might be. Um, so we really wanted to give people that data uh, to allow them to kind of compare and see kind of how it, how you know tackling food waste is comparable to something else but also just just to see the positive difference really that they're making when when they uh, get an old box so we we launched the new methodology for measuring impact in september uh, which basically works out on a personalized level different impact information for every one of our customers and it's based on you know whichever box they bought in whatever week and whatever was inside that box so it's so it's really kind of personalized uh, and we do that by working out the weight of the food that's been saved each week and then we use life cycle assessment data for all different varieties of produce um, that then allows us to kind of convert that weight into the carbon emissions that have been saved and the water that's been saved based on kind of all the resources that went into producing um, that piece of produce from the kind of farm to the retail uh stage in the life cycle um, and so that's kind of what what we say is our savings and then we take off our carbon footprint of our operations so in the last year we've measured our you know the impact of all our transportation all our packaging all our marketing you know our flyers emails uh the waste we produce um and then we have a kind of per box figure for what we emit and we take that off um so that it's, it's considered in, in how we measure impact. And then we also take into consideration the fact that the food might have gone to an alternative use. Um, so there's greenhouse gas emissions associated with food going to animal feed or anaerobic digestion to make energy. Um, so we also take that into account. Um, so yeah, so each person has a, will have a cumulative impact figure um, on what they've saved in terms of, kind of the weights, the carbon emissions and water. And we're gonna put that on, we're working on a new kind of website at the moment um, and we'll have a My Account page where people will have that information um, live on a kind of monthly basis. And once, once we've kind of done that, tested it, got feedback, we'll see how people want to engage with it. But we wanna make it kind of more fun and engaging, you know, have different kind of levels or use it as a loyalty scheme to kind of you know give people vouchers when they reach a certain you know, kilograms worth of savings or, or things like that so we're, we're thinking about how we can kind of engage people in that and kind of celebrate um, them on their kind of food waste journey yeah, fantastic really really great stuff um, Phil you have a question about the legislation would you like to talk, to ask it Yes, hi everyone. Hi Heather. Um, 
So just a quick question. I was wondering um, if you believe that legislation that was designed to put in place sort of consistent quality standards has kind of unintentionally increased food waste. And do you believe there is a need to maybe review legislation to sort of prevent that and maybe even encourage and promote the sort of safe use of, of, of food products? Yeah, I think it definitely it's definitely had an impact in terms of food waste and and the, the the class two the stuff that isn't quite the right shape or size. Um, I think there was some EU legislation I can't remember maybe like ten or twenty years ago um, that said things like cucumbers need to be straight um, yeah. and things like that. So uh, that I think has definitely impacted because that is where we see a lot. Like fifty percent of our the stuff that we take is is class two. 50% is surplus because demands change. So it is definitely an issue. Um, but I think, I think, I'm not sure, but I think the legislations were removed or they were they were weak. As in, I, I think things yeah. are not as strict anymore, but there is still the behavioral change and the perception, like people are used to getting food that looks a certain way. Um, and that that that's one that's hard to change for supermarkets if people are used to seeing, you know, perfectly round apples or potatoes um, but then it's also the kind of supermarket supply chains are, are set up to mm. take certain types of produce and certain certain things so 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 yeah I I'm sure there is kind of opportunity to do a bit more in terms of reducing reducing the legislation but I'm not sure relatively how big legislation is the barrier versus kind of this is the new way of doing things and um, and this is what customers now expect and and whether supermarkets just kind of do it because they know customers uh, are expecting that and it's kind of a behavioral thing so I, I don't know which is the which is the bigger bigger thing to tackle that makes sense thanks great question um i think we're going to start thinking about wrapping up but i think it would be interesting um heather to hear from you in terms of some tips what of what people can really do at home themselves what kind of you guys encourage people to really like themselves think about how they can eliminate food waste and improve their own practices yeah um so some things you can do at home um so tracking what you do is always helpful tracking what you throw away and then aiming to reduce that just having it having a kind of way to measure it is always helpful um, thinking about sharing stuff that you're not going to eat. If you're going on holiday, you can get um, Olio app. I mean, it doesn't have to be if you're going on holiday, but Olio app basically allows you to share food with your neighbours. So you just take a picture, put it on the app, your neighbour must come and pick it up. Uh, so that's a great way if you're not going to eat your food or, or donate it um, to food banks. It's also quite helpful to organise your fridge um, and like put the things that need to be used first at the front. Uh, also making shopping lists look at what you've already got before you go shopping and do meal plans before you go shopping as well so that you know exactly what you're cooking when, how much you need for that. Um, and making use of your freezer as well as a kind of pause if you can't, if you're not gonna finish something by a certain day or you need to freeze it, um, that's good. And also finding out ways what, um, that you can use food that you normally throw away. So I've got some great tips from our box like uh, and I'll make stock from my vegetable peels um, and also the squash, the seeds inside a squash. 
if you put them in oil and salt and roast them, uh, they're like a great snack. So, so little things like that. Um, and there's a website called Love Food Hate Waste, and they have loads of tips on, uh, you know, how to store food, how to how to use <laughs> use all the food. So, so there's lots of resources out there as to as to how you can uh, reduce food waste at home. That's brilliant. Really, really great. Um, great. Listen, I think it's been really, really interesting. I think definitely I feel I learn a lot. Um, I'm definitely going to take a few tips. I like that one about the, the stock with the, uh, the vegetable peels. I think that's a, that's a good one. Um, so unless there's anyone else who's got burning questions, I'd like to say a big thank you to, to Heather for your time and for everyone else in joining us today. Um, and this is, as I mentioned at the beginning, our last spot on sustainability for the year. But do keep an eye out next year for upcoming any future events and in particular podcasts that Romy is going to be launching with um, a few people in the call today. As you mentioned, Brendan and Wakessa will be featuring on it. Got some great topics we'll be discussing. And guys, think about what you're consuming. Let's reduce food waste and check out Oddbox. It's a really great service with some great produce um, which you can get delivered to your door in London. So thank you, everyone. Be safe um, and have a great rest of the evening and a great festive season. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks, Heather. Thank you. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye.